confirmation bias is such a part of kind of our pathology of what got us here. You know, if you just look out in the world for the data and information and the influencers and the podcasts and the and the and the people that confirm what you want to believe, you know, you'll never iterate or or really expand your thinking on things. And I think that's probably one of the most dangerous things that's happening right now. Hi, I'm Zoe. Hi, I'm Erica. Hey, Erica. This is our podcast. Well, what do we do on the podcast? Uh, we talk to wellness experts. Well, what do we talk about? Mm, wellness stuff. And why are we doing this? Because we want to have an inclusive conversation about things that you can actually use and apply to your life. Right. We don't think that wellness should feel preachy. We think it should feel like everybody can participate. That's right. So if you like what you hear, tell a friend. Give us five stars. They're do all free. All of the above. All of the above. And think of us as your navigators on the bumpy highway to well. Uh, hello, my friend in a closet. Good day, sir. Good day, governor. Um, uh, we got to be going on like day 30 of quarantine. It's about day 30. It's definitely day 30 since we took a uh, shelter in place. Um, yeah. 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 I sheltered in, in a different place last weekend. How's your day going? Um, my day's going really awesome. Wonderful. I'm so happy to hear that. Going so well. I accidentally... Okay, so it's April and my allergies are kicking in and I was about to... No, I had just gotten out. Of, I got out of the shower. My eyes were like insanely itchy and I was like, oh, rubbing them were all watery. And I was like, oh, I need my eye drops. And I reached in my backpack in the front little tiny pocket where I keep these little allergy eye drops. It's also the place where I keep this little dropper that is a, it's like a breath freshener. It's a very high, highly concentrated peppermint oil extract. And I mistakenly put the pepper extract dropper in my fucking eye (laughs) and proceeded to scream at the top of my lungs and ran into the bathroom and started flushing my eye going, Oh my God. Oh my God. I literally, it's quite embarrassing and it's quite painful and it's still, and it's still hurting. (laughs) (laughs) On the bright side, it distracted you from your allergies and now anybody who gets close enough to sniff you will say how fresh smelling your eyeballs are. I mean, it's just, it was just the one, just by righty. I'm so sorry. Um, you have to get back in bed if you need to. I think everybody needs to give themselves permission to get back in bed on any given day during this godforsaken quarantine. Yeah, it's not, it's just adding insult to injury or injury to pandemic or whatever. Um, anyway, so that was my that was my um, the highlight of my day so far. Well, on another note, maybe slightly more compelling than your eyeballs is uh, we chatted um, about immunity and probiotics and everything that's happening in your gut biome. Just moving things a bit south from the eyes to the gut. Uh, right. Okay, now I get it. Yeah, with uh, Ara Katz, who is of Seed, which is an very interesting uh, symbiotic company. So now, what's the difference between a symbiotic and a probiotic? Well, spoiler alert, I don't know. We should, we should just have people listen to find out. She is in California, very knowledgeable 
lady um, has built a beautiful brand and helps us get to the bottom of bacteria. Bacteria and what the hell is going on in our gut. Um, because as you might imagine, there is a lot of misinformation and confusion out there around probiotics and prebiotics, prebiotics and symbiotics yeah. and all of the rest. And no one knows what the hell they're doing or talking about when it comes to probiotics. And we learned that after talking with Ara. Yeah. No, she's got, I mean, it's incredible. She's got a huge team of scientists that are working on this brand, which is great. And her partners, and they're all very invested in just really sharing proper information about the gut microbiome and uh, all of the impacts of bacteria on our health and on the environment. And so it's a very chock-a-block full of information, informative episode that we hope people enjoy that is slightly more fun than putting peppermint oil in your eye. Yeah. Oh, and spoiler, probiotics, symbiotics, prebiotics, the whole thing, good for your poop. Good for your poop, which we all need right now because also apparently quarantine constipation is a thing. Really? It's yeah. just like stress constipation? I think so. And people just aren't moving around and they're not drinking as oh, much right. water. Right. Know. And we're all just sitting at home drinking exactly amounts of alcohol because there's just, it's the only way to manage homeschooling. Uh, <laughs> Let's see. Just being at home. Yes. Um, okay. Well, have a listen and enjoy. Here is our cat. Welcome. It's nice to meet you. Yeah, so nice to meet. So nice to meet you. Under these insane circumstances, um, yeah. we uh, were excited to talk to you and hear, you know, a bit more about what you're doing with seed and your work with the microbiome and how you arrived there. Um, and I think, as as relevant as that conversation is and has been, anyway, for those of us in the wellness community, certainly, and yes. trying to kind of disseminate the message beyond us, it's. 10 times more relevant now because we're talking about immunity. And so we'd love to hear your story. Well, where are you right now? I can't. I I'm, I am in, actually I moved up the, we, we live in Venice, but I moved up. Um, my, my uh, husband's family has a beach house that we moved to kind of when this started. So we have a four-year-old and, and currently no childcare. So we're running two startups and we were like, let's get to a place where he could at least go outside a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's, yeah, I'm in LA. I just want to note that it is April 1st today. Yes. I know. I already, I, I already slacked my co-founder. We have a, we have an investor who's, um, and a couple of people who are like close to the White House community. And I slacked my co-founder this morning. Uh, this guy just told me Trump has COVID and they aren't telling anyone. And he like wrote back. He's like, wait, are you serious? He, he like wrote back. And then I just put the, the Simpsons, uh, He's that um, the Simpsons gift that says, and that is how you celebrate April Fool's Day. <laughs> but I mean, come on. We all know that that's the truth. Anyway. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. Like, Trump totally has COVID. Uh, you know, we would never know if he did. Like, oh, yeah. Well, anyone who knows the rest of it, they would probably send in a doppelganger and we would still never know. Probably true. (laughs) Um, I think anyone that knows people with narcissistic personality disorder would say that that also can feel very much like a virus uh, in proximity to that. So (laughs) there's no vaccine for that, unfortunately. (laughs) No, there is not a vaccine for that. Okay. So what year did you start seed and what were you doing before then? I so we started seed in two well we incorporated at the beginning of 2016. I had actually 
it, interestingly, I, I had actually resigned very quickly from a, a, a consumer tech company that I had started in New York um, called Spring. Uh, actually, had a miscarriage and resigned. Wrote really wrote my resignation the night of my DNC. And I think it was just kind of a, a, a I mean, I actually think miscarriages are, are like miracles. So that's a whole probably other other conversation. Um, it's a bit of a different maybe take off, take on them. But it was really more just a, an inflection point in knowing that like, not just that that life wasn't viable, but um, the life I was living was not viable. And I really took a lot of time to think about, you know, after that, what I wanted to do, what I wanted to create in the world. I think... Not dissimilar to you guys, you know, um, and I, of course, remember Blueprint and, um, you know, it's like old school New Yorker, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, when you know how to create things and you know how to build things and you know how to make things that people want to engage with and you know how to build communities, kind of know how to operate, you realize that those, and I'm realizing this with our kind of mask situation now with uh, the protective equipment, you know, which you, you realize that those skills you can do anything in the world with. And so the question is, you know, and I think it was just a moment where you're like, wow, I know how to build businesses. I, I know how to raise capital. I know how to create community. I know how to create brands. I know how to create things people want and to engage with. Um, and so what do you do with all that? Interestingly, I ended up, I was in consumer tech for a long time and actually very much in like a lot, a lot of things around e-commerce. And it's funny because I don't, I'm not even that customer. And so it kind of was just an existential moment that, really led me to examine the things that I care the most about. And I've just always, I've always been a lover of science and biology of, of health. And I think I had watched kind of the wellness world rise and felt that there was just a lot of things that while I'm very grateful that the world has a new and renewed consciousness about caring for their bodies, um, or at least those who can, I think, afford to, certainly. I just think I thought that there was like something major missing, and I think it was science, <laughs> honestly. Yeah. Um, and I and I felt that you know, and, and coming from the tech world, you know, as Peter Thiel wrote the book Zero to One, I found that a lot of things that were happening in that world were very like iterative. What Peter Thiel calls tinkering, you know, this idea that just these like little like one point one to one point one point one to one, and it never, nothing felt like it was this whole like shift. And along with the four point three trillion dollars of spending in wellness. No one's getting any better, which I think is interesting. Like we're dying of communicable diseases at higher rates. Not, no really big shifts were happening. And so I think I knew that whatever I did next, like had to almost be like a lens shift, like a whole new way of thinking or looking at your body, at, at our world, our connection to each other, our, our, the way that we could have agency over our health. And the microbiome was interesting because, you know, and, and for everybody listening, just to kind of like ground into like a, a, a definition of it just because I think people throw the word around and it gets kind of misunderstood. The microbiome is this collection of 38 trillion microbes that live kind of on and, with, and, and within us and, you know, make about three to five pounds of your body and are impact, you know, and are connected to almost every aspect and process that goes into kind of the maintenance of like your everyday living, your body's like ability to do its job. And, um, and, many, and many more that we're just starting to discover. And I kind of just felt like I wanted to be in something that would really be this kind of entire perspective shift that would also be immediately actionable. Like, as you know, like in a lot of science, things are five, seven, 10, you know, in some cases, like years and years out. 
um, particularly if you go into biotech or drugs or things that where you can really make an impact like at scale very quickly. And I felt that microbes were interesting because a lot of the work being done in microbes and microbiome were like was actually immediately actionable. It at least informed decisions we make today and or you could use microbes to, to do things in the human body today um, or continue that research quickly. Um, and so, and you were, and, and you were already seeing just to put like the business and entrepreneur had on like probiotics and, and the administration of microbes, even in consumer health or the fastest growing consumer health category in the world. You already were seeing like both oral supplementation um, and certainly how like it's impacted the digestive health market or the, the uh, mindset of like, once you take antibiotics, the idea of then the kind of like uh, the, 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 the modulation or, or restoration or the, that notion of the gut after antibiotics, which, you know, with 70 million prescriptions written in the US, that's like not an insig- insignificant uh, thing. And then areas like infant formula that we're, of course, starting to think about, like, how do you use these probiotics and other cases, prebiotics to kind of think about those early windows of development of the microbiome. And so you looked at these categories and it's going to be things like skincare is kind of next, oral care will be after that. There's like all all these things and and categories we use every day and things we put in and on our bodies that fundamentally were going to be disrupted if you just kind of, as I started to kind of look into it. And really it came, like I met my co-founder, I got pregnant very shortly after that. I met my co-founder, um, while I was pregnant, actually. And we spent a lot of time getting to know each other. It's probably like the longest founder dating <laughs> experience. And I think we were aligned in a lot of ways. I think he filled in all of the science. Of course, I'm not a scientist. And so he filled in a lot of those uh, those gaps um, and was one of the most brilliant minds in terms of the translation of science to kind of pro- product, both therapeutics and drugs, and, but also consumer innovations. And and then realize that, you know, as in putting our kind of skills together, there was this opportunity to use kind of my experience in storytelling, design, technology, building of consumer tech companies and brands, um, and his, of course, experience in science and, and the translational product development piece uh, to create a brand that really, and I think you see this a lot in, in, in health, is like you either usually have like the biotech or the life science piece but then you really don't have like the marketing and the, and the storytelling and the consumer piece, or you have the marketing and the storytelling and the consumer piece, but you have no science. And so, uh, and so I think we just felt that there was just, you know, we could have everything in the batter and neither would have to be frosting. Um, and I think that was really like incredibly compelling to us. And, and we kind of, we, we got started really around this notion of reinventing infant formula, which came out of my breastfeeding experience. And I had trouble breastfeeding. Like after about four months, I could only supply about a third of my son's milk. And we really started with this notion of the reinvention of infant formula, thinking about the, the from a microbial perspective, from a microbiome perspective, and really realized very quickly that the platform we were building would extend out to multiple areas and applications of microbes, not just for consumer health, but for uh, therapeutics and then also for environmental health. And that led us to everything from creating a probiotic for honeybees to um, to launching Luca Biologics, which is our women's health therapeutics company. Did you say a probiotic for honeybees? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a bio patty that you put in the hive and it increases their immune resistance to neonicotinoid pesticides. Which is that? And, and so... How is that actually in the market? Are people already using it? Yeah, so we published about it. Um, we've expanded, like UC Davis expanded a lot of the testing with us. Our PhD in Canada works on that. We just published about it in Nature not long ago. And we're currently thinking about how to scale that up. Yeah. Wow. 
That was pretty fascinating. Well, okay, so seed. Yes. Which I have purchased. And it's actually, it's like a beautiful package. So, I mean, hats off for your packaging design. That was incredible. Mm -hmm. And, you know, how you subscribe and it's just, there's very like minimal waste. Could you talk a little bit about the difference? So I, I feel like everyone has obviously somewhat of a handle on probiotics, but prebiotics seem to have... You'd be really surprised. <laughs> yeah, I know. Okay, so let's... Maybe a few a few bubbles have a good handle on probiotics. Yes, yes. So for those people who have yes. somewhat of a good handle on probiotics, I think now we're just sort of understanding that in order for probiotics to work, we need prebiotics, right? So this seems to be the next kind of wave of information that we're trying to like sift through. Mm-hmm. Um, when honestly, like I haven't even sifted through the probiotics piece of it. Like I, I still don't understand like which is the best type. Why is it a better type? How many strains should I be consuming? What is the difference between all of these strains? Yes. But I think we should definitely go into that. But yes, before we do, could you just talk a little bit about the difference between probiotics and prebiotics and one, how they complement or work together? Absolutely. So yeah, and I do think it's worth mentioning that like, despite the fact that I think there are, I, I, there are bubbles, um, as you say, that, that do, you know, I think know what probiotics are. So they know that they're bacteria, they know that they're beneficial, obviously in certain bubbles, of course, much more than others. I think it's still worth anchoring into the definition of it, if you don't mind taking a second to do that, only because, well, first of all, we're very, very grateful that our chief scientist of, of kind of our consumer innovations division, SEED, uh, is Dr. Gregor Reed, who actually authored or, or chaired the panel that authored the definition of probiotic for the WHO in uh, and the UN in uh, in 2001. And it's a very specific definition that said it's a live micro microorganism that when it's administered in adequate dosage confers a benefit to the human host. And that's incredibly important because if you break those three things down, it's a very specific microorganism. It's not a species, it's a strain that's identified. It has to be in the correct dosage, which means that the right amount gets the right place and it needs to have been studied for a very specific marker or outcome in the human body. I think the way that the term gets used today is the notion that just anything that has bacteria in it or is fermented is a probiotic, which is fundamentally not the case. Kombucha, no. Kimchi, no. Um, or, or I should say unproven, not no, unproven. All the things that throw probiotics into it, kind of, it's, I mean, it's nice marketing to say that like it's tortilla chips with probiotics, it's chocolate with probiotics, this with probiotics. I mean, as un, unproven, unknown. Um, something, most of them, sorry, but with something along the example of, I mean, I get when you're saying like, you know, tortilla chips with probiotics, fine, sure. something that is naturally fermented like a kombucha or like a kimchi. Yep. Um, I mean, sure, it's to your point, if it's not proven to have probiotic qualities, but um, I mean, we is there a reason to believe that those things are not beneficial to gut healing in any way? I think I think a lot of it needs, like, I think you really need to anchor into what healing, gut healing means. I think the answer is who knows? Most of, uh, so many of the commercial kombuchas are incredibly, have a lot of sugar. Mm-hmm. Those are strains of bacteria that were selected because they're good at fermentation, not because they've demonstrated a benefit in the human body. And you have to just understand like what would be the dosage that after a kombucha sits for X amount of time with no substrate or media, like what 
what would it be doing and where could it get to in the body that it could have that impact. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't other benefits and you're also, you know, eating things that are already fermented, of course, it's much easier on your GI tract. I mean, there's, there's other, there's other aspects that of course, something like kimchi is incredibly fibrous, right? So, um, so that, that has other benefits on, on, unto itself, but I also, you know, and I also don't know like quantity wise. Um, I think that probably is, you know, in the, in the, in, in the U S and particularly the Western world, like we consume beverages at a rate and at a quantity that nobody's ever consumed that much. Like we don't, that's, we're not meant to. Yeah. So like, like these big eight, 12 ounces, like these are not, you know, that's, that's so, you know, the answer is unproven. Um, I can tell you that the the PhDs at Harvard's Department of Genetics that went to Whole Foods and sequenced all the kombuchas and all the kimchis couldn't find any probiotic effect to show up in uh, C. elegans models, which are these little worms that they use to mo- um, emulate uh, kind of like hum- what would happen in the human body. And so uh, that that's what I. That doesn't mean though that there aren't other benefits of of lactic acid fermentation in the body. I would just say specifically and particularly with commercial brands. Uh, they're often very, there's a very high in sugar. And those are strains that weren't selected for their impact in the body. They were selected because they're good at fermenting at scale. Okay. So what is the promise then of the seed probiotics specifically? Sure. Also, I would also say it's worth noting that like we're one of the only countries in the world where the term itself isn't regulated. Right. I mean, I was just saying all of these products, this, you know, this tortilla chips and everything, also the beverages that you said were tested by that found no strain, like that is shocking to me that that's not regulated. Like why, you know, yeah, you you know at, at the same time, and it goes back to what you're saying earlier. And like one of the reasons I started see, like I would love, I probably prefer someone to drink that over a diet Coke, you know? So a lot of this stuff does become a bit relative. Right. Um, and I think you have to remember like where, you know, one of the things we're very careful about is that you do need to meet people where they are. Yeah. Um, you know, big changes often like very disruptive, big changes in what people do don't often stick when you look right. at kind of behavioral psychology. And so you have to be really mindful. Like, do I think someone, you know, it, it's like, it's like, I'm sure you guys have had the juice conversation a million times. Absolutely. Um, you know, uh, it's, um, it, you know, it, it, it is, you have to be, you have to be really mindful of where someone's coming from. And, uh, and I think that the, I, I, yeah. And I, and I also think, you know, a lot of times it really is just because a lot of these companies don't have, you know, a life science DNA. And so I think in some cases, honestly, just from the, the re- like just the interactions that I have, like, I think a lot of, I mean, I think most people have re- good intentions. Like, I don't think any of this comes from, I just think that there's uh, particularly if you look at where microbes are headed um, and how important they're going to be in our lives and how meaningful they're going to be and how we think about our children, or how we think about our own preventive health, how we think about the treatment of specific diseases. Our whole thing is not to like, you know, shit on other things. It's very much that like, if the term itself is not taken seriously and you're seeing this now, and we see this, we see this with vaccines, we see this with GMOs, we see this with so many other things. If there isn't the receptivity to take these things incredibly seriously it's going, you know, it, it, you're in an uphill battle for things that could really make an impact at scale for human health and environmental health. And so if the term just becomes, like, I think we've seen probiotic mattresses, probiotic sheets, probiotic pillows, probiotic tortillas, you know, if, if it's just thrown around that way and has no kind of regulatory or stringency to the way it's used, you know, it, it just kind of dilutes, um, and particularly for scientists who are always hitting their heads up against the wall, 
with the way things are kind of conflated. And I'm sure we'll get to that when we talk about things like immune health or digestive health or any of these other things that are being especially thrown around right now in the wake of COVID. I think that's um, I think that's that's all our position is, which is we just want to be the stewards of just kind of the more scientific precision around the term probiotic. Right. Um, um, okay. I can answer your question about prebiotics too. Yeah, but I don't think you get, question. Yeah. So how yeah. does it stack up against prebiotics? And yeah, what, and what is sure. what do we need to understand? If even if the science is feels like it's beyond us, or to your point, it feels like it's all just kind of. It's becoming noise, and so we tune it out. Like, what do we need to make sure gets through in terms of probiotics and prebiotics? Yes. I mean, so look, if you're putting bacteria in your body, and it's and it's always funny because I always think it's it's so interesting how we rationalize things. Like, if you know, with skincare, you know, you could talk to women, and they're just like, and this ingredient, hyaluronic acid, and that, you know, and then when it comes to other things, they're like, I'll just put anything probiotics in my body, and you're like, well, I don't know if just putting any bacteria in your body is is the way that you know, you should be as, um, as, as vigilant about it. And so I think what, for us, we just asked for specificity. We wrote, a, we wrote a paper last year that was published in Frontiers in Microbiology called Probiotics, reiterating what they are and what they're not. And it was actually for the scientific community also, which was just kind of calling for a bit more precision about what we're saying qualifies as probiotic. I think it, a lot of it is just tr- simple label hacking the way I think we do with other things in our lives. And I think that just requires a bit of education which is what obviously at Seed we spend a lot of time doing. But the first thing is just starting off with like just knowing which strains are in, in there. Um, usually you can know that it, it is um, a specific strain because there's usually a number at the end and the, the, that long <laughs> Latin word is, long, is longer because there's a series of um, numbers or letters at the end. Obviously, like there's very clear ways in the scientific world or if you're just a little bit more of like an internet sleuth, um, to take that strain and just go into PubMed or whatever, and you, you kind of can quickly quickly glean and understand if it's something that's been studied um, or at least has some clinical validation. I think uh, I think you have to look at companies that are doing the science and doing the work to on the both the testing side, uh, who have the technology to be able to at least have some sort of survivability and heat stability. I think you hear a lot in probiotics about it has to be refrigerated, which is not true if you have the right. Yeah, I was ask you about. Yeah, the, the processing piece and the heat piece because it's obviously a big area of confusion just from yes. the types that have to be refrigerated the types that don't. But also, like we're, we're talking about including them in all of these other products that are obviously heated within an inch of their lives. So like, do they survive that? Does it matter? You know, like, what is the rule there? <laughs> I mean, what's really challenging is that what companies say and what they have the data for or what they do put the burden on themselves versus the manufacturing them is really is really challenging and so i always get caught when i like say oh you should look for this and this and the truth is is that people don't have that time and they don't even if they had the data sitting in front of them they probably wouldn't know how to make sense of it and so you know look i think some of this is also just um, you know not to forgive the pun but just like a bit of gut gut instinct in terms of like, do you, does it feel like the company has the credibility and the, um, and the, the, you know, the foundation of science to be able to be doing a lot of the work that's necessary to be able to check off those things, like the specificity of strains, knowing how uh, it, the, 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 the technology and or um, the packaging has been tested for the stability of heat or water activity. Like we know bacteria don't like moisture. We know they don't like light. We know that they don't like heat. And we know that they don't like oxygen. So like 
you know, if you're some packaging that's like, look how clear and transparent we are, you know, as a probiotic, it's like, you probably know that like, did they do the work to figure out how they protect, really protect their microbes? And so, you know, I think there's little, little tricks like that. I mean, of course, the most, the best, the best answer is that you, you can, I don't, is to be the, to, to experiment, right? Which is try it. <laughs> if it, if it, if it seems to have a benefit based on the benefit that you're looking for and you feel a difference, I wouldn't, I wouldn't discourage anybody from taking something that makes them feel better. Okay. So on that note, I've heard a couple of different things when it comes to trying it, right? And I've tried a million different types of probiotics, but I tend to stick with like a a couple that Mm -hmm. I toggle between. But um, there have been, you know, sometimes maybe the idea is like, if you try a new probiotic, probiotic and you get super bloated and just like gas or whatever, like that's not necessarily a bad thing. Does that mean it's working? That means it doesn't agree with you. Maybe it's not the right strain for you. Like mm-hmm. I've kind of heard some weird combination of all of those things. Yes. So I think that piece is confusing. But then when you say like, try it, see if it works for you with what you're trying to achieve. I think for the vast majority of people right now at this stage and these little bubbles that we're talking about, I mean, I think we sort of define that as like, okay, well, it's going to improve my, I need it to improve my digestion and like make me poop better, whatever yeah. that means. Yeah. So that seems to be like the number one goal for people. So what, it, what does it mean if I try a few different probiotics and I take one and it's just is like making me extremely bloated or gassy or whatever it is? Yep. Yeah. What is um, that? So there's a number of different factors that I would say are important to consider, like kind of like any controlled trial. It's like, how long are they being tried for? How long is the washout period between the things that you're trying? What time of day are you taking them? And is diet controlled for? Because if all of those things just have kind of fluctuated depending on like the quote unquote experiment, it's very hard to say that there's any kind of like one-to-one um, comparison, but generally, and and if let's just say diet kind of stayed the same, and um, and there was testing into determining that if you took it at night, for example, after your stomach had been empty, let's say you're, you eat at a really early dinner and you took them before you go to bed, it's really important to know like are you experiencing the same exact thing if or if you're taking them with food and you're taking it during the day. So I think um, a lot of it does have to do like it's not just with. Uh, the, you know, it's, it's hard to say without any of those other inputs. And particularly if you don't allow for the washout period, it's, it's, it's very hard to actually know. I think microbes, I mean, they've detected microbes in stool even up to three weeks after someone stopped a probiotic. So I, I would say it is important to um, think about those factors. That being said, if you're continuing to, if you feel that way at the beginning, and we, we just call it kind of an acclimation period because people absolutely, there's a few things we, we believe people feel hard to know exactly what it is. Bloating is certainly one of them. Sometimes people feel a little bit of like an abdominal tightness. And, you know, one of the things that our microbes do and have been studied to do is they, they signal kind of the tight junction cells um, in, the epithelial, in the epithelial layer. And so we, we believe that there is maybe some of that that's happening as acclimation starts, which is simply the way of saying like, you know, it's, it's like you throw a bunch of, um, you know, new, new kind of animals in a, in a rainforest and they're all going to like check each other out <laughs> and figure out like, is this friend or foe, friend or foe, and kind of figure out like what kind of response to have. And I think we, we kind of like articulated a bit that way. Now, if that's chronic and it never stops and you've tried things like 
um, and you're not typically bloated. And you've tried things like change the time of day, um, changed how empty your stomach was, um, and you're continuing to have that, then yeah, I mean, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't then continue something that's making you uncomfortable. Yeah. But, it, but I think it has to be like a controlled experiment where you said, I'm, I'm going to do this for a period. I mean, obviously not if you're incredibly uncomfortable, but you know, for, for, for us, I, we're always trying to say like how... Actually, I was just looking at Neil deGrasse Tyson's new masterclass uh, came out, which is basically a, like teaching people how to think, which like a scientist, which is I think if people had a spirit of kind of experimentation, but knowing that time is a factor, um, I think we still, even in, even in the wellness world and, and preventive health, and despite a lot of the kind of more Eastern thinking and frameworks, I think that it is still, still often goes through the lens of like a quick fix. And I, and I, and, and also there's also a lot of things, I mean, yes, GI health and digestive health is something that people associate with probiotics because many of the strains that are in the probiotics available in the U S today are mostly for GI health, but, and that's something you can like viscerally feel. I think that's part of my hypothesis for why the field has grown so quickly, but at the same time, there's other things that are a probiotic can be doing depending on what strains are in there um, that you wouldn't necessarily feel. And so um, it's kind of like, do you feel an omega-3? Do you feel, you know, and I think that's, that's always, that's a funny conversation in, in health and wellness is, um, you know, what does quote unquote working mean? Right. So what are some examples of the strains that actually are really that key that you're not necessarily feeling the difference, but in your opinion, need to be considered by most people? I would say the way, and actually interestingly, like the, the, the formulation for the daily symbiotic was a way of saying, what would an otherwise healthy person and, and caveats that being that we have many people um, who are not healthy and have specific pathologies that have, in, as a result of their experience with our product, informed the ongoing science that we're doing, which is really exciting. We're, we're going to announce a trial at Harvard very shortly. We were just approved for our IND with the FDA so that the daily symbiotic could be studied as a drug, actually. Um, although not, we're not going after drug claims, but we are, it, it, it was, it was authorized by the FDA for, um, to be, to participate in more clinical trials, um, for specific pathologies. So, um, while it is, is of tremendous benefit to people who are, have specific conditions and, and at least anecdotally, uh, and that will inform more of our science for, for a generally kind of healthy person, part of our thesis was, what could you, what could you formulate that for somebody who is otherwise healthy that would support kind of general overall health and in various systems of the body using specific microbes and strains that have been studied with incredibly clear biomarkers? So for GI health, for example, um, things like the, the maintenance of regularity or like the homeostatic um, uh, effect on regularity. So if you go too much, bringing it back into kind of a more regular range. And if you go too seldom, then bringing it back into kind of a more regular cadence. So improving, improving regularity, the ease of bloating, which as you're right, though, can, can sometimes happen during that acclimation period. But for the most part, we hear that their people feel um, considerable, considerably less bloated. Um, and, uh, and the alleviation of kind of occasional constipation. Other interesting things is that the increase of stool hydration and the, I, every time I'm about to say what I'm about to say, I always, I'm like, I can't believe it. I never thought three years ago I'd be saying this, but, and the ease of evacuation, which is just kind of how easy you go. 
Um, and so, uh, and then any, any kind of discomfort that happens um, and that is associated with transit time. So those are like markers that have been studied with the strains, at least on the GI health side um, in, in our formulation. And then the other areas, I don't know if you want to go into each of them, but there's like the gut barrier integrity, um, gut immune function, cardiovascular health, which is really interesting, which is strains that work on the gut liver axis, um, skin health. Uh, so strains that actually work internally on the gut skin access around specific forms of inflammation to, uh, on the skin. Um, and then micronutrient synthesis, which is something we're incredibly excited about because it's the first probiotic to actually support um, uh, the synthesis of um, uh, folate production in the body. So increasing your endogenous production of folate, uh, which is what microbes can do, um, which is uh, it, which is exciting. And then also the supporting of the, um, the synthesis of B12. So it's interesting to think about, and, and, and I haven't answered your prebiotic question yet, but, but that could kind of lead into it. But those are kind of the areas where we work with strains that have very specific clinical work associated with very clear biomarkers in the body. Um, and then importantly, and actually going back to your question about what people should look for, um, and again, this is very hard to put the burden on the consumer for this, but the other kind of trick or thing or loophole that happens in the, in, in the industry is that you can use a strain that's been studied, but it's not often in the right dosage that was used in the clinical trial to affect, may have that effect in the body. And so that's kind of another area where- Is it, is it often too low or- Too low, yes, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then Think too low plus no protection. Um, what do you mean protection? You know, uh, just ability to get it kind of through, through GI tract. Right. So you mean like how it's encapsulated? Yes. Right. yes. So like the, yeah. Yeah. Um, Which by the way, just, just to caveat that while we're very proud of our technology, like a lot of the studies, um, and we see this as we're formulating our children's uh, uh, sim, um, symbiotic, a lot of the studies are have been still effective in the right dosage, even without a specific capsule. So I just say that to say that I don't want to... Um, I don't want to conflate the idea that we have a, because we have a, a, a unique technology that other people or other companies using these strains that do have robust literature behind them or that have good clinical work or they've done their own clinical work that don't have that technology doesn't mean that they wouldn't be uh, successful because a lot of the clinical studies don't use the technology uh, that we do and have still seen that outcome, but they've been in the correct dosages. Yeah. So I'm interested to talk about children's microbiome, gut health, how we get them probiotics, what it means, C-sections, all that good stuff. Yeah. Um, but before we do, can we talk, can we just touch quickly on like the prebiotic question and then also specifically how I think it's important to talk about in this context, probiotics are supporting our immunity. In what way are they like immunomodulators? Yes. I'd be careful to use the word immunomodulation or uh, like means yeah. like super, super specific. Um, I'll go, I'll, I'll let's uh, do prebiotics since it's for 20 minutes. We like, yeah. I haven't answered that. Yeah. Um, so prebiotics are, are, are interesting. And, and I, and I wouldn't say, I would say that the best way to think about prebiotic, prebiotics is kind of, they, there's two, there's a couple of different forms of them. One was, um, one is what are called fermenting prebiotics. Um, others are non-fermenting, so they, you know, so just to say that there's a few different forms. There's the there's kind of the ones that everybody hears about that are kind of like food for the good bacteria. Mm-hmm. So 
obviously the bacteria use them as a substrate to proliferate, to grow, to, to kind of reproduce. That's one form. The other form, which is what we use, are, are compounds that microbes, that bacteria use to create other metabolites. So they metabolize them to create a substance. So like you guys may have heard about like short chain fatty acids or um, something like uh, urolithin A or butyrate, for example. And those are really important because those become, so the bacteria break down a compound, make a, they make a metabolite, let's say like a butyrate. And then the cell wall, the, line, the, the cells that line your, your gut use that as food. Or use and use that as a, as their own substrate, and so it's an interesting kind of I guess next another step to the process, but it's incredibly important because they can break these things down and then create these metabolites and produce these metabolites that are that are incredibly important for for health in a number of different areas. So um, it's either like it's food, yeah. direct food, yeah. or it's just a compound that they help the body like break down and turn into other metabolites that help your body. Okay. So it's either it helps them grow or it helps them do their job. So it's safe to say that we shouldn't be so concerned about getting prebiotics to feed our probiotics if we're just eating the right foods. Yeah, it's you know it's interesting. There's a little bit of a of a misnomer um, that it has to feed the probiotics you're taking. Sometimes they can be impactful because they're just getting to your gut and then doing the jobs that I just mentioned. So it's a, it's a little bit of, I know that we like the story that everything kind of like works together. And I think in skincare and other things, we kind of like learn, the, learn, learn that, or you have like, but you have D3 and K2, you have other kind of combinations that uh, are, are, are easy to understand and are, and I wish that science always was fit right. the perfect marketing narrative. Yeah. Um, but sometimes prebiotics are just valuable because uh, really just for, for the existing community of bacteria in your gut. If you, I mean, I always say like, think about taking Taking probiotics sometimes is like throwing a, a handful of sand into a rainforest. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like, it's a very large community already. Um, and whatever's making it there is not necessarily as impactful as like all the, all the, all the microbes that are already there that could benefit from those prebiotics too. So the fact that your product is called a symbiotic. Yes. We derived from that. Symbiotic is just a scientific term when a probiotic and prebiotic are combined, and there is and there is research to suggest that um, that specific microbes and specific substrates this will be present in our children's symbiotic, as an example, do work synergistically together. But what we just try not to do is over sensationalize that because you really, once something goes in, you really don't you don't one hundred percent know if it is uh just because of your probiotic or is it if it is also having an impact on the existing bacterial population. Right. Yeah. And but then and then and as I said it, it also depends on which which kind of prebiotic and which and which job they're doing based on what we were saying earlier. So you wanted to talk about children's gut health. Oh yeah. Oh well yeah I mean Obviously, it's very difficult to take, you know, I have a, um, almost three-year-old and five-year-old, um, and I try and give them probiotics. I mean, one, it's funny because one was like a C-section, one was vaginal birth. And so I, I kind of like think of them as my little experiment. Um, yeah. But I, you know, and I'm like, oh, he's had, you know, the, the C-section baby has had more like X, Y, and Z issues and the vaginal birth baby like 
hasn't. And he's been on more antibiotics than she has. And so it's kind of like an interesting yes. um, group to look at. But uh, in general, I would say that I just kind of throw shit up against the wall. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't know, does, will they take this probiotic? Will they take yep. this one? It's like whatever I can get my hands on and give them is sort of what I do. You know, it'll be novel and then they'll sort of get bored of one and then I have to try a new one. And so it's kind of like, are these even doing anything? Mm. Are you are you using gummies? Or are you using okay? So that's my another question I want to get to. Right, just the whole gummy yeah. question in general. Um, so no, I have droppers. I have I've tried the gummies, specifically like the Smarty Pants gummies. Uh, I've tried yes, uh, tinctures. There's I think Nature Valley or whatever mm-hmm. it is um, has like the hard, almost like hard candy. It looks like mm-hmm. so I've tried like a a, a, a range. Um, my question is, do any of them work? Is one mm-hmm. delivery system better than another? Uh, do you need to like, and I know you're not like prescribing as a doctor, but it is a good idea to like double dose like during and post uh, course of antibiotics. Yep. Um, if you, you know, well, anyway, I'll stop there. And- yeah, no, no, no. It's, well, um, well, let me start from the end, the C-section versus um, vaginal birth just because yeah. Start at the beginning. So look, I think as we know, there's probably any any way that we can figure out how to shame women. Uh, we kind of, as a society, come up with. And I know a lot of women who have C-sections that have like weird amounts of you know guilt and and just I mean by, by weird I just mean like weird because it's been kind of imposed on us that mm-hmm. um, somehow it's like inferior and and certainly from a microbial perspective, the ideal for any woman I imagine is just to have a natural birth, but you know, the C-section versus vaginal birth has been a bit sensationalized because it is out of context with two really important factors. The first is the presence of breastfeeding and the second is the presence of antibiotics. And so in the first, and, and what they have found is that, you know, after about 18 to 24 months and when, or, or rather when a child gets to kind of a steady state microbiome, if they were breastfed for a good amount of time, I believe it's somewhere between six and 12 months, um, I'd have to go back and get those studies. And if they didn't experience antibiotics in that first 12 to 18 months of life, there's a very good chance that they start to look, those microbiomes actually start to look very, very, very similar. Of course, that's not always possible. Um, but that that is like, so just to anchor into the fact that like, it's often a stat that's thrown out kind of just out of that context. And once a child gets to that kind of steady state microbiome, then it's kind of a different, then there's other things to talk about, like what you asked me about for antibiotics. But it is, it is yes, it is not optimal because the, the, the mother load of microbes happens at birth from the mother's vaginal, mad, vaginal microbiome. So the coming through the birth canal, there's a huge load of bacteria that kind of bathes the, the child and goes in through all kinds of orifices. There's some uh, disagreement in the scientific community whether or not the child is exposed to microbes in, as a fetus. Um, some people believe the womb is 100% sterile. Some people believe there's no way it's entirely sterile, that there's some microbial exposure. But regardless, it's nowhere near the microbial exposure that happens when... And actually, it's just interesting, fun fact, it's why we're called seed, um, because the, the process of seeding is actually a biological process, which is at, at birth or at, the, at I should say, the infant's first exposure to microbes is actually called seeding. So it's like kind of planting that garden. And then it also comes from the mother's fecal matter. Anyone who's given birth 
uh, knows that <laughs> that happens and, uh, and from their skin. And then immediately after that, it's like whatever environment, whatever, whatever in the, whatever environment you're in. And of course, other, other things come in, but that mother load happens from the vaginal, uh, microbes, um, the fecal matter in the skin. Um, and then in, in a beautiful feedback loop, breastfeeding, about a third of the carbohydrates in breast milk are not digestible by the infant's body. They are only fertilizer, literally only, only food for those microbes that they got through the, through, through the birthing process. Or the so, process. um, that's, that's very interesting. What, what do you think? And I know you're saying it's been a little bit sensationalized, but what do you yeah. think about this idea that C-section babies can sort of, I don't know, cut a few corners maybe by getting a swab of whatever, yeah. like they just take a swab, whatever sure. in the birth canal, yep. uh, and just kind of smear it all over the baby. So, um, so Maria Domingos Bello and Marty Blazer, who are the two scientists that actually Maria Domingos Bello, actually she's she's right in your guys' head. She's been well, she's she lives in New York, but she's at Rutgers now. She was at NYU. They moved their lab recently. She's the woman. She's really the scientist that has been done the most on research on vaginal swabbing. The FDA has not been kind to the idea. You don't say. I never would have guessed that. In a um, I think that they're, you know, of course, they come from a liability perspective. You know, I, you know, I think um, it, it's one of those things again that sounds like, you know, not dissimilar to like eating, you know, encapsulating your placenta and all these other things that that I think have a great narrative to them. I think we think that that could be incredibly promising. We just, I think there's just a lot of research that still needs to to come and. Um, I think she, and I, I love, I love Maria and I think she's done in, in, incredible work and I, I, she'd be a great, actually a great guest for you guys at some point. But yes, I think they've started to see some really promising research, which is, it might just be early. And I know that um, even if the research was there, the from a regulatory perspective, I know that they, that they're having, uh, there's been some pushback, um, some concerns about kind of liability, which is kind of silly to me because the child would have gone through the birth canal anyway, you know, had they not gone into C-section, but I get it, and obviously, when you you take it out and then you put it, there there may be some something there that that is worth kind of looking at um, and being cautious about. But you know, in in theory, uh, there's a lot of value to it. I, I don't think I don't personally believe, but this is my own personal opinion. I don't think it could be hurtful, right? But and, and I can answer some of your questions about the children's you know probiotics too. I oh, think right. yeah. The, yeah. the the look the the. The easiest way, and, and I certainly say this, wanting to be respectful of other of other companies and, and not really knowing the testing or science behind the, the other companies that you mentioned, is simply that we just try and preserve the conditions under which the clinical work was done in the human body. And those are not done in gummies typically, and they're not done in other formats. They're done in the powders uh, for the most part. So I can only say that to me, if I wanted to have the desired outcome that the strain was studied for, I would try and take it in the format and the dose that it was studied in. Okay. Because what you don't know through the heat treatment, through PEG, through... I mean, and, and I would also say one of the other... My other gripe, my, my only big gripe with all of the children, anything children's, is the fact that sugar is put into any... Something that is called a vitamin. Like that, that is mind-blowing to me. No. <laughs> so that, that's really the... That's really the big, the big thing to me, which is, or at least specific like cane syrup and sugar, like the, the specific sugars that are often used. And so I, you know, I, I would say, um, and then look, and then the last part of your question, which is how do I know if it's working? Are they worth it? 
I mean, look, placebo effect, and there's so, I mean, the, the word work is such a challenging word in health in general, between placebo effect, between the fact that like, you may realize that by giving your child the gummy because they think it's candy, got them to eat 10 times more vegetables for whatever reason that night. And you know, as a parent, sometimes these like weird Jedi tricks kind of can work. Like maybe it's because they're eating so much more fiber and polyphenols in their diet and it has nothing to do with what you gave them, but what you gave them ends up being the thing that they believe like is like a, either a treat or something that they got to take, you know? And so I think it's, I think with, especially with kids, I'm obviously with human, when you mix human behavior and any of this stuff, it's challenging, but no, I would say that if it's not a powder, I would just want to know what studies and tests they've done on the viability and their survivability and the fact that any of those microbes can get to the gut and what strain they're using. And kind of what I was saying earlier um, is kind of no different. So do you give your four-year-old probiotic? He, he takes seed actually. Okay. Yeah. Do but I, I put it, I put it, I open the capsule into liquid. Into liquid. Okay. But I can't, I can't, I can't, we can't, we can't recommend, we, we don't recommend that because. No, of course not. Yeah. You know, <laughs> But but, uh, um, but yes, you take seed and all kinds of experiment the the the, the formulations that we're creating for for uh, for children's, which will be right. um, hopefully hopefully potentially launched by the end of the year. I know we're running out of time, but could we just talk quickly again, just in the context of the current COVID crisis? Yes. Um, can you just touch on briefly why broadly uh, probiotics? speak to the immune system and how they support um, specifically and how it might be beneficial for people to consider incorporating them into their, into their diet somehow. Yeah. I mean, I, I have a, I have a good answer and a shitty answer or a not helpful answer. <laughs> oh, give me the not helpful shitty answer. <laughs> yeah. The not helpful shitty answer. And it's the reason that all of our prospecting paid um, social media ads are off right now is that, if somebody is selling you all the, uh, this notion of immune boosting right now, uh, you should be very, very, very wary. The, the idea, and, and we see this every day with people with no pre-existing conditions dying of this, if you like the feeling of control, do all of it. <laughs> I would just be, look, I would be very, the answer is, of course, it, do whatever you need to to feel healthy. Probiotics absolutely have specific benefits, specific strains of probiotics. I could speak to the ones we, we work with. Um, do have uh, specific markers around gut barrier integrity, um, which we do know is incredibly um, important and, uh, and gut immune function, which means just kind of like the, the crosstalk that happens between like the immune system and the intestinal cells and, and that they support, you know, the, the language that, we're, that we can say is that they support kind of a healthy immuno- immunological response in the GI tract and that they produce, like I mentioned, those very specific short-chain fatty acids. And so those are the markers that we look for. And those are incredibly important in terms of understanding like how your immune system functions in the gut. As for all the other probiotics, I don't know because you'd need to really look at the strain and what they have been studied for um, and go back to kind of all the things we kind of spoke about to date. But that's, you know, I think that, I think in terms of immune, uh, and, you know, just immunity and then talking about that in the context of COVID and Corona. And like, I, we just have to be really careful because I don't think we know that there is a specific marker of like immunity that correlates with not contracting COVID um, or, or non-contracting COVID with and being symptomatic. 
And so I just, we just try and be really mindful about that correlation or conflation. Um, and, and it's again, why our paid, paid ads are off, not because we would ever do that, but there's so much misinformation and the, and the, and the supplement companies and the people cashing in on this right now are cashing in on fear. And I think in some ways, while we're home and while we're the things that are the most challenging, and of course, yes, I, we, we very much believe in our product in terms of overall general systemic health. And I certainly do not think it would uh, hurt. Uh, I do believe it could be helpful, but we would never say that I would rather people find a way to eat healthily at home and be moving their bodies and, and, and figure out how to go through this collective experience with as least stress as possible, which of course we do know has incredible effects on immune system and our vulnerability to pathology and figure out, and, and the diet piece probably being almost as important right now. But I certainly think the best thing is also to just be really cautious and not go on a supplement buying spree uh, just because um, just because of this. And, and by the way, people don't know that things like sea buckthorn or oregano oil wipe out your microbiome. I mean, those are crazy antimicrobials. I mean, oregano I'm oil. Sorry. Is- You're telling me that oregano oil wipes oh, out. Yeah. Oh, I mean, oregano oil is used in livestock in place of antibiotics. I mean, I think in the, you know, I think these things are incredibly strong antimicrobials. I mean, the reason that they're so strong as antimicrobials is because, um, and, but they're non-discriminating, right? At least like an antibiotic is, is you know, a, a, you, you, especially a broad spectrum one, like you kind of know is going to carpet bomb your, your microbiome. But, you know, things like oregano oil, things like or in fact, we're working on a big kind of breakdown of all of these, all, all of the supplements that everyone's kind of, swiping off the shelves right now. Um, there are, there are, I think that's, that's why I said like you be a little bit of both an experimenter, but also a little bit of a scientist of just kind of going a little deep and saying like, like there are implications to just like throwing all this stuff in your system. Um, because you believe it creates more, more immunity, you know, oregano oil has been studied for certain things. So I'm happy to share that report when we're, when we're done. One of the things we do know is that it's used as a very strong antibiotic. Yeah. Okay, so there's a time and place for it, but maybe not as a daily. Yeah, I mean, if I was a if I was a farmer, I would use it instead of broad spectrum antibiotics for sure, for sure. Um, and uh, and I'll, I, the answer is we're we're just kind of going much deeper on the literature for all of these things, and I'll I'll have a better answer for you uh, in terms of when it would be appropriate to use it. Sometimes the answer is nothing is better <laughs> better than something that's unknown. Or go through that methodology of kind of experimentation, which is, you know, seeing, trying and testing into the right dose, into the right timing, depending on how long you want to take something. But um, I think we just, we try and be very mindful uh, of of just like, particularly right now in your question of immunity, just making sure all this stuff just doesn't get all conflated into a soup that just takes advantage of fear. Right. Like anything else, we we do always want to encourage people to to read up and do their own homework. And it really yeah. just comes down to making sure you trust the sources that you're getting your information from, which is sort of how we started the conversation. Yeah. yeah. And and look, N of one, as we call it, which is your experience of your own body, is an incredibly valid data point. Right. And science doesn't know everything. And your integrative doctor doesn't know everything. And sometimes it is, I think the challenge and what I've seen in health and wellness or more in the wellness world is that the problem and what you don't do as much in science is you take 20 things at once and then you really don't know. And and look, sometimes I'm sure there is some aspect of like the combinatorial effect of these things, but like you really don't know what did what because it's very hard to control for. 
Uh, and so I would, I, I, that's why we kind of, I always encourage that kind of spirit of experimentation, but, um, and, and really just like really recognizing that confirmation bias is such a, is a, is a part of kind of our pathology of what got us here. You know, if you just look out in the world for the data and information and the influencers and the podcasts and the, and the, and the people that confirm what you want to believe, you know, you'll never iterate or, or really expand your thinking on things. And I think that's, um, I think that's probably one of the most dangerous things that's happening right now. Okay. Well, this is, uh, very interesting and thank you for broadening our horizons. And yes, of course. And you you have an offer that you want to share with people, right? Yes. So we'll put it in the show notes and make sure, but um, where do we send people just to get more information from you? Um, Seed.com. Seed.com. And also, I would say at Seed on Instagram, we've been getting a lot of great response for, we spend so much time translating science and making it beautiful and accessible. And, and particularly during the COVID crisis, we've, we've spent a lot of time really distilling the headlines for people and making things feel actionable and kind of yeah. hopefully um, empowering and in, in kind of understanding them a little bit better. So I encourage people to look at that too. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Ara. It's been really yeah. nice to you and nice talking to you. And Likewise. I hope you guys stay safe and healthy and um, if there's anything that comes up when you're going back through this, I know uh, I wasn't as succinct as I would like to be. <laughs> I would like to be. No. So, if there's, as you're going back through this, if there's anything we can answer in the show notes, or if you'd like some specific citations or anything uh, from this from journals, you know, just let us know what you want cited, and we can provide you with that. Great, awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Bye. Thanks for listening to HTW. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and make sure and rate us on iTunes. You can even give us five whole stars if you think we deserve it. If you have ideas for guests or topics, you can call our 1-800 number. Yes, we have a 1-800 number at 800-674-1839 or holler at us on social at HTW Podcast. You can also head to our website at htwpodcast.com for more episode info and check out our Daily Blend blog to see what we're drinking.